You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going to court, going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This is the gospel of the Lord. Alleluia, Christ is risen. Alleluia, indeed. This week, a couple days ago, after we had got back from our little vacation in Florida, which was beautiful and wonderful. We were sitting on the couch in, uh, in the living room of our house and just kind of relaxing and winding down for the day. And uh, the kids were, were watching a, a show. And as that show was going on, and um, I was kind of having other conversations and whatnot, um, it became clear that the show started uh, using some words that I felt uncomfortable that my kids were watching, right? <laughs> and uh, my antenna went up, and uh, I started thinking to myself, language, language, right? <laughs> and quickly turned to them and said, 
let's uh, let's go ahead. Let's let's watch something else. Right? This isn't where we need to be right now. To which the prompt response was, "Why? You watch language, or uh, you watch movies with bad language in them?" Ooh. <laughs> and what was my response at that point? Off the cuff, my response was, yeah, and I'm also a 43-year-old grown adult, and, uh, you know, you're a kid, so do what I say. <laughs> Maybe that wasn't the best way to respond. We are going through a sermon series right now, uh, through this Sermon on the Mount uh, called This is the Way, right? So we're following Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount on chapters 5, 6, and 7 of, of Matthew. And what we have seen up to this point from the Sermon on the Mount, we've, we've seen the power that followers of Jesus live by. The power being the Beatitudes, the blessings that we have been given, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the people who are meek. And Jesus says to all of that, blessed. Blessed, you will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And then last week, you heard Pastor Schlecki talk about not just the power, but also now the, the purpose that we live with as Christians. And our purpose is to be salt and light, right? Salt of the earth that seasons the earth, that makes a a good steak a great steak, right? And light, a light that that illuminates the the world. City on the hill. We don't hide our light. We let it shine. And why do we let it shine? So that the world can see our good works, and give glory to God. That's our purpose as Christians today. That's our mission statement, if you will. So we've, we looked at the power, the Beatitudes, the purpose, salt and light. But now we look at the particulars. Jesus teaches us the particulars of living life in the kingdom of heaven. What this looks like on the ground level day to day. And he teaches us about things like, well, what we heard today, marriage and lust and adultery and and hate. So let's take some time and look at these teachings, how following Jesus plays out in our day-to-day life, how the disciples of Christ, us, Followers of Jesus live differently than everyone else in the world. And what difference it makes for our lives and for the life of the world in which we live. A little overview. I'm making excuses here, (laughs) so take it for what it is, but we're spending six weeks in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I've done sermon series through the Sermon on the Mount where I've spent six months preaching on it. And so uh, if you 
can kind of gather from that, I, I am going to be going quickly. This is going to be a bit of an overview. Also, we need to know that when Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, this is crucial, that Jesus was talking in general, broad terms. When he makes these statements, these teachings in the Sermon on the, on the, uh, the Mount, this is not case law that applies to every single situation in life. Let's keep that in mind as we go forward. Also, it's helpful, it's crucial, I would say, that we understand that our Lord Jesus, he got language. He knew how to use things like metaphors and hyperbole. He's not only speaking literalistically, where he's forcing us to uh, abide adhere to every jot and tittle exactly as he proclaims it. And I'll explain that. So, as we're looking at this way of life in the kingdom and what it means to live in the kingdom of heaven, we take a look at Jesus' teachings of anger. You've heard it said, those of old, you shall not murder, he tells us. And whoever murders is liable to judgment. But, and he goes on to say, but even if you're angry, even if you have anger in your heart, even if you call someone a fool, raka is the Greek word, uh, maybe numbskull, idiot, those sorts of things, those are sins of the heart. Those are sins worth judgment. God is not cool with that. And, and so when he's talking about, when Jesus is talking about life in the kingdom, and he, he's talking about the way that uh, we should be interacting in our relationships, he's doing something for us showing that our relationship with God, what's referred to in, vertical, or in theological circles as, as our vertical relationship, our, our, and here I'll, I'll show off for a second, our uh, Coram Deo relationship before God, right? I went to seminary. I know a little Latin. That's about it. And so, uh, as, so our Coram Deo relationships impact our Coram Mundo relationships, our relationships before man, mankind. And Jesus gives us an illustration to support this. An illustration about giving a gift at an altar. In first century Judaism, where was the altar? Jerusalem. There's one altar. And so, Jesus preaching to people up in Galilee, they knew that when it came to giving a gift at the altar at the temple in Jerusalem, that there was, I don't know, something like 80 miles of travel involved in that, several days. And then you go to the temple and to the altar, and and you go through all kinds of things, like walking through the mikvah, 
the ceremonial pool for cleansing. And then you have to purchase the animal and take the animal up to the Temple Mount and up to the altar. He had to wait in line. And this wasn't something that the average Jew did regularly, daily. This is something that might happen once, twice a year. And so you're waiting in line for all these other people who are at the feasts, Pentecost or Passover, that are also offering their sacrifices. And it is at that point that Jesus says this, if you're at the altar about to offer your sacrifice, and you remember that your brother has something against you, so you're about to offer a sacrifice to God. Your brother has something against you. What does he say? Stop right there. Go back. Undo all the stuff that you just did. Become ceremonially unclean. Travel a few days back up to Galilee. Find your brother. Reconcile that. And then come back down to Jerusalem and offer your sacrifice. Now, I think... Jesus is speaking in a bit of hyperbole here. But what's his point? Our relationship with God and our relationship with each other is not mutually exclusive. They go together. They impact one another. So modern day application for that would obviously be coming to church. Why do we come to the altar today to receive the Lord's sacrament, right? To receive the body and blood of Christ. And what God is saying is that your issues with your neighbor, your brother, your sister, your friend at work, your parents, your children, impact your relationship with God and vice versa. And so if we come to church, And we recognize there's brokenness somewhere. We must, as followers of Christ in the kingdom of heaven, fix that relationship, work toward reconciliation. So the kingdom of of God is the way, the kingdom of heaven is the way that we walk, and it's the way that impacts all relationships. It's also a way that that impacts not just the outward, externals, but our internals. Not just the body, but our heart, our soul. Going on, Jesus talks about lust. You've heard it said, you should not commit adultery. Strictly speaking, Adultery is when you sleep with another man's wife or another woman's husband. Jesus goes on to say, But I tell you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, and the reverse is true too, women who look at a man, men with lustful intent, have already committed adultery in their hearts. And he goes on and he gives a really extreme illustration of what to do. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. 
Your right hand causes you to sin. Take out the butcher knife. Now, hyperbole is being used here, okay? It's important. I don't want anyone to go home and to maim themselves, right? Jesus does not want that. We look back at the church. There is no record of the disciples of Jesus, the first century apostles, walking around maimed as they're trying to cut off all these things that cause them to sin. But his point is this. Sin is not to be taken lightly. We are to take extreme measures in dealing with sin in our lives. Anyone here, can anyone here tell me what's the national pastime of the United States of America? Anyone? Baseball, right? That's the, the very kosher, uh, sanitized response. Let me suggest that the national pastime for our world today, for our country today, isn't baseball. It's pornography. Here's why. Porn is America's uh, pastime because more is spent financially on porn than pro football Baseball and basketball, including the Super Bowl, combined. We are a nation of sexual addicts. One of the most common ways is to, to access pornography today is the internet. Most common times to access between 9 to 5 when people are at work. We and uh, we in the church generally don't speak about sex and pornography and adultery. Parents, therefore, generally don't speak about these things. Maybe the fact that I'm speaking about them right now makes you a little uncomfortable. Jesus spoke about adultery, about lust of the heart. So we speak about these things, too. We recognize it's nasty. It's hidden in the darkness, in secret, and it destroys our relationship with God and with other people. The way of the kingdom of heaven is a way of both body and heart. And, third, the way following Jesus, is, is the way for all time. Jesus talks about divorce. A little bit of understanding here about what Jesus was speaking into. He says this, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. He's, he's quoting there. And what he's quoting is he's referring to teachings, kind of a, a controversy, uh, a different understanding between two schools of rabbinic teaching, the school of Shammai and the school of Hillel. 
And those uh, teachings talked about what's the proper way to go about to go through divorce. And they focused on this idea of giving a certificate of divorce. And so we want to do divorce. They wanted to do divorce in the proper way. What does Jesus do to this? He says, there is no right way to, to do divorce. You're getting caught up uh, in the weeds here. Divorce as a whole is bad, is wrong. It was never part of God's will, God's plan, God's design for us in life, in this world, or in his kingdom specifically. I am going through some premarital counseling with a few couples right now in our church, and one of the first lessons that we talk about, one of the first things we do is we go back to the beginning, back to Genesis chapter 2, back to where God created marriage before sin came into the world. And what do we see? We see Adam, he's living as a, as a bachelor for a moment there, living in his bachelor pad in the Garden of Eden. He's, he's living there. He's named all the animals. He's got all the animals that he wants. And yet, God looks at that and says, not good, right? Even before sin, not good. It's not good for man to be alone. I will make you a helper fit for you. And so God creates Evening, first surgery, right? Adam's put under, part of his side's taken out. God creates Eve. Adam wakes up. There's Eve and God standing at the end of the aisle, and the first wedding ceremony happens. And God's walking Eve down the aisle, and what does Adam start doing? He starts singing. (laughs) At last, bone of my bones and and flesh of my flesh. Hubba, hubba. This is good. I like it. All right? Marriage is good. God created marriage as a gift for all people. God created marriage between one man and one woman. Lifelong commitment. Jesus' point here in this text is that divorce, at the very best, it's just a way that we get through this broken world. But it's never good. It's never right in God's eyes. Now, that's not to say that there's never a, a case where divorce isn't where we where we go. You can name a thousand instances, abuse or, or whatever, but, but it is to say this, that we, we can't, as Christians, act as if divorce is eh, indifferent. It affects the individual. It affects the spouse that they're divorcing. Children, family, neighborhood, church, all are impacted negatively by divorce. It impacts the society as a whole when divorce is a regular thing. It's not God's plan. It's something to be lamented, to be mourned. Lord, have mercy. Yeah, there are times when 
yeah, abuse comes in or other situations. Like I said, this is not case law. And there are times where we recognize, oh, this is not good, but neither is black and blue eyes on a regular basis, right? And so we, we walk through that grieving that this is what our broken world has come to. Jesus is upholding the value of marriage and showing that it's for all time. We don't today just say, oh, those are old, dated, old thinkings. Right? In the church, we recognize, no, this is how God made it from the beginning, and this is how we continue today. There's no such thing as an amicable divorce. It causes brokenness. It causes sin. So we hear these things. And you might be sitting there thinking, wow, so that's what it means to follow Jesus. I guess, I guess I'm out of luck. <laughs> I, guess, uh, I guess I'm not in here. Because uh, anger, check. Calling someone a fool, check. <laughs> Lust, check. Divorce, check. It's heavy, isn't it? God's law can weigh heavily on sinners. So there's two responses that you can have today. First response could just be, I'm out, forget it, not for me. Following Jesus isn't, isn't going to happen. Thanks, but no thanks. Or you could respond by saying this, I'm sorry. I failed. I'm grieved. I mourn the sin in my life and the hurt that I've caused others. Please forgive me. And when we're in that place, <laughs> we go back to the words of Christ in the Beatitudes. Words like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You feel poor, like you're just not strong enough to do God's will. <laughs> For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn sinfulness in this world, sinfulness in their lives. They shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Ah. Oh. I want to be better, and yet I keep struggling with the same sin over and over and over. Help me, Jesus, for they shall be satisfied. We follow Jesus, the way of Jesus, because of the way Jesus himself went. When Jesus knows he knows we're not going to be perfect. He knows we're broken, fallen. He knows our hearts. He knows, and those who know that that one who knows us best loves us most. Loves us to the point of saying, 
I'll stop in here. Going to the cross for our sake, being that perfect sacrifice, hanging on the cross, great illustration of both the vertical relationship with God, which was suffered, or which was separated and severed at that moment when Christ cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And also the horizontal relationship with others as his disciples fled, betrayed, denied. He suffered that for us as that perfect sacrifice so that three days later he could overcome the things that make this world a mess. That he could overcome the lust and adultery and the the anger in this world so that he could heal our relationships, so he can mend our hearts, resurrect our marriages, so that we could have life. That's why we follow Jesus. It's because... He does two things. He holds the standard, the law of God, at its highest, and he steps in for us and says, I'll take your place. When we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into this life, this resurrection. And so I follow. I follow him. Thought about that movie and that language, and I thought about it, and it didn't take me too long. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for convicting me. As I thought about that conversation, I realized I'm 43 years old, a grown man, an adult. You're still a kid. That's probably not a very good justification doesn't really play out very well in the kingdom of heaven. plays out in the world. Our world, I mean, our, the whole movie rating system is based on age. I can't find the verse that gives me that exemption in the Bible. So, what did I have to do? What did I get to do by the grace of God? Go back to my kids and say, you're right. I do watch movies with bad language. I need to work on that. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay, Dad. Good. All right, cool. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for helping me stay salty. How about you? What are the places in your life where you recognize if I'm going to follow Jesus with all of my body and soul, I need to work on these things. May the Holy Spirit work in your hearts, convict you of sin and judgment, but also of the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. Amen.